So I know that this is an important weekend in the life of our church. I know that it is. I know that when a pastor announces a transition, uh, things start to change right away. And I can feel them changing already. I can feel the change. And I have a lot of thoughts and feelings, and I'm going to have the opportunity to share those over time. Uh, Both corporately, we're going to process some things together, and I'll be able to spend uh, time with many of you individually, and I look forward to that. What I want you to know right now is that I love you. I love this faith family. I love what it stands for. I can't go too deep into it right now because I look around and I see your faces and, and I have a story for every face I see. So uh, we will have the opportunity to process some of those things over time, but I'd like you to know that I love you and I love this church and I love what it stands for and I love its future in the valley. Um, I want you to know that I have had a hard time taking this step in a way that would make my faith family for 25 years not feel that I love them. And I don't want you to feel that. This is not about me not loving the people of this church. This is about me discerning what I think God is doing and not knowing exactly why, but knowing that on the other side of it is God's best for me and for this church. And believing that and uh, wanting to be obedient to that. And even though none of us know what is next, you don't know what's next, Hendersons don't know what's next, I, I know that something good is on the other side of, of this change. It's a change, and, and things change, and seasons change, and, and it's okay. It's going to be great, and uh, God's going to be in it, and uh, we're just going to trust Him in that. What I'd like to do in the next few minutes is Uh, show you some love by teaching. So Thanksgiving, we just finished Thanksgiving. Some people, they like to show love to people by cooking for them, right? So one of the ways that I have tried to show love to you is by teaching you. So I want to show you some love by teaching you from God's Word this morning. And giving us something that will encourage us in this time of change. So we're in the middle of a fun and important series called More Blessed. It's more blessed to give than to receive, Jesus said. And we're in the middle of that. And uh, I don't know. We're not going to do that this morning. And uh, we may come back and and, uh, wrap it up next week. Uh, But I do think what we're talking about in uh, terms of generosity is an important uh, step in setting this church up for tremendous impact in in this valley, if we take this mindset of generosity. So we may talk about this again next week and being pipes and not buckets. And I will, you'll be happy to know that I bought another person a a latte and a lemon pound cake this week at Starbucks. So you'll be proud of me for that. But I think this morning, I've got these pins uh, here. I don't know what they're doing, but I'm going to put them over here. Uh... What I want to do this morning is take a look at a psalm that I think will do us good at this uh, moment in time. So the psalms, the the book of psalms, 150 psalms, they cover the whole range of human emotion and human experience. And uh, if you're having an emotion or you're having an experience, then you could probably come pretty close to the emotion or experience that you're having by 
rummaging through the book of Psalms. Even a single psalm sometimes seems like it contains the whole breadth of, uh, of emotion. And so uh, this morning we're experiencing emotion uh, over change and challenge. And uh, we're going to find some help for that in the book of Psalms. And when you go through a time of change and a time of challenge, nothing is more important than how you view God. We've said for, for many, many years, how you view God is, is the starting point for how we experience life and how we respond. And so how we view God is the most important thing we have to take with us in a time of challenge. And so we're going to look at a beautiful psalm that's going to help us in our view of God. And so I'd like you to open your Bibles to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. It's just a short little psalm right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 121. We actually looked at this psalm not that long ago. It was just a little bit over a year ago that we were in this psalm. But I think it's uh, will do us well this morning to take a, take a look at it again. It just seems to be right for, for today. So before we read, uh, I want you to notice the heading of the psalm. The psalm says, A Song of Ascents. And uh, the, Psalm 121 is in a section of the, of the book of Psalms that were sung by Jewish worshipers on their way to Jerusalem. As, as people from around Israel would collect together and uh, travel to Jerusalem for feasts and times of special worship, they would uh, travel through the hills up on their way to Jerusalem, and they would sing certain psalms on their way. That's the psalm of ascent, of going up to Jerusalem. And this is in the, the psalm of ascents. This was their road trip playlist. And one of the songs that they sang had to do with the hills that they were marching through. And that's this psalm, Psalm 121. And we're going to read it. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Yahweh watches over you. Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, God's personal name, Yahweh. Yahweh is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. Yahweh will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Yahweh will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. This is a beautiful psalm. And it starts with a question. The question is at the beginning. The rest of the psalm answers the question. And even though this is a song of ascent, it wasn't written originally as a song of ascent. It wasn't written to be someone's road trip playlist. It was written just by a guy with a problem. And later adopted by these travelers as they, as they went to Jerusalem. So originally written by a guy with a problem who needed some help. And he's talking to himself. This is a psalm that contains the inner dialogue of this, of this man with a problem. And he's, he's talking to himself, and he starts with a question, and then he answers the question. The rest of the psalm is his answer to the question he begins with. And the question is a fundamental one. We've all wondered it. 
It's the, it's, uh, what we see in verse 1. It says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Now, if uh, you grew up with the old King James version of the Bible, or you're a fan of the sound of music, then you can have a little different wording to this psalm. This, what you may remember as the words to this first verse are this, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Uh, that's that's uh, the old King James version of the Bible. And uh, Lisa was sharing with me that uh, when we first moved to Walla Walla and came to Trinity, that uh, she would stand in the parking lot here and she would look up at the hills and she would think of this verse. And I remember, since I uh, can act like an old codger, now I will, uh, I can remember when uh, Dick Barham, those of you who remember Dick Barham, old retired pastor who was part of our church a long time ago, and uh, he would stand and he would quote that verse and he'd talk about those hills up here, you know, and, and uh, that's, that's kind of the old, this is the King James translation. The only problem with the King James translation is it doesn't seem to have really have gotten the real essence of this verse. Because this verse is not a statement, it's a question. And just a simple, you don't have to change any words, all you have to do is change punctuation and you understand the difference. So instead of, I will lift up my eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help, you turn it into a question. I will lift up my eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. You see the difference? The first one is a statement. I look up to the hills, that's where my help comes from. The second is a question. I, look, I lift up my eyes to the hills, where is my help going to come from? And every modern translation takes this second approach. Every modern translation understands this, I think, more properly as a question and not a statement. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? That's the fundamental question that this psalmist asked. Where's my help going to come from? Now, why is he looking at the hills and wondering who's going to help him? A couple possible reasons. First reason, he's looking at the hills and wondering where his help's going to come from because hills are a great place to hide. I mean, what do you do when, when you have enemies and you need help? Well, you head for the hills, right? Because the hills are a great place to hide and find a place where no one will find you. That might be one reason he's looking to the hills and wondering where his help comes from. A second reason is, is uh, possibly because hills are where the bad guys live. Bandits. Lions and tigers and bears and all that. And, that's, and, and this traveler may be looking at those hills knowing that he has to go into those hills to get where he needs to be. He's going to have to travel through a place of danger. And he looks at those hills and he sees this place of danger. It's a, it's a, it's a scary place. I lift my eyes to the hills full of bandits and wild animals. I know I have to go through there. Where's my help going to come from? Third possible reason he's looking to the hills and wondering where his help comes from is because hills are where the other gods live. So in the day that this psalm was written, we learned a couple weeks ago, actually from studying the life of Gideon, that uh, there, there were altars to idols 
that the gods of the Canaanites were worshipped on hills. They would find a hill and they would establish what they would call a high place. And that would be where they'd put their altar. And that would be where they'd put their Asherah pole. And that would be where they would worship these other gods. And so it's possible this psalmist is thinking, I lift my eyes to those hills. I mean, that's where, that's where all the people around me go for help. I know that that's where their gods live. They offer their prayers on those hills. I wonder if that's where my help is supposed to come from, those idols. I wonder if they're the ones who really help. So he looks to the hills and he says, there's a place to hide. Or he looks to the hills and he says, that's a scary place. I'm not really excited to go through that. Or he looks to the hills and he says, that's where everybody else is going to for help. With those, that's who everyone else trusts for help, those, those gods. Maybe that's who I should be asking. And either way, either way, it's a time of change and challenge. And he's asking the question, where does my help come from? And then, remember we said this is inner dialogue. Then he answers himself. And he says, my help comes from Yahweh, from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, notice how the God who's going to help him, I love this answer. The God who's going to help him is so much bigger than the hills that he was looking at. He's the maker of heaven and earth. So, uh, whether he's looking at the hills as a place to hide, those hills can hide me. Oh, God is so much bigger than those hills that you think can hide you. He made them. Or whether he's looking at the hills as a place of scary danger that he has to travel through. Hey, God is the maker of heaven and earth. He made those hills. He can protect you. Or he's looking at those hills as, the, as uh, where everyone else looks. If everyone else looks to those hills and those idols for help. But God is so much bigger than those hills. He's the maker of heaven and earth. Don't just look to the hills. Look to the one who made the hills for help. Help comes from the Lord, not from the hills. So that's kind of the question and the answer. But then you, you've got to ask, well, how do you know that this God is really going to help you? How do you know? That's what the rest of the psalm is about. The rest of the psalm tells us how committed God is to take care of his people. The rest of the psalm tells us God wants to, not only wants to, he does take excellent care of his people. The one who made the hills takes care of his people. And uh, there's one key phrase that shows up in this psalm over and over. Good rule of Bible interpretation. When you see something repeated over and over, there's, there's a reason. It's a key thought. And in this psalm, we have one phrase that there's only eight verses to the psalm. And the first two, you can almost not, not even count them because they're just kind of setting up the question and the answer. So you got the last six. And in each one, in six times in these six verses, one phrase appears over and over. It's the phrase, watches over. Watch over. So you notice. We see it here in verse 3. He will not let your footstep, he who watches over you. Indeed, he who watches over Israel. Yahweh watches over you. The Lord, uh, oh, I changed that to watches over. Uh, the Lord will keep you. I messed that up. Uh, that was my typo there. But that is, uh, it actually isn't the phrase watch. It's, the English does not translate the words watches over. All these others are in the English translation. This is actually the word will keep you from all harm. But it's the same, it's the same Hebrew phrase. So that's, that's, my, that's my bad right there. 
Um, but watches over, watches over, watches over. Six times this Hebrew phrase, watches over, appears in these verses. And the idea is, hey, God cares for his people. It's the idea of protecting and preserving and guarding. All right? And that's what this psalm says God does for his people. Protects, cares, guards. To make sure that nothing happens to them. Where does my help come from? From the Lord, who is the maker of heaven and earth, who watches over, watches over, guards, protects, takes care of his people. So the truth is clear. God is the maker of heaven and earth, and he watches over his people. And the scope of this watching over in this psalm is beautiful. It is, uh, extends from heaven and earth, right? Uh, from heaven and earth, the maker of heaven and earth. It's... Uh, by day and by night. It's as we are coming and as we are going. It's both now and it's forevermore. I mean, it's heaven and earth, day and night, coming and going, now and forevermore, God's comprehensive care for his people. So just enjoy that for a minute. Where do you go for help? The Lord, who's the maker of heaven and earth, who watches over his people, Heaven and earth, day and night, coming and going, now and forevermore. And then he just kind of lets this idea unfold through the psalm, beginning in verse 3. He will not let your foot slip. This maker of heaven and earth who watches over you and me, he won't let us take a misstep. He won't let, us, uh, he won't let our foot slip. He won't let our foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God won't let your foot slip because he doesn't ever go to sleep. He's always watching out for you. These Canaanites who lived at the same time as the psalmist, they didn't have that kind of luxury because the gods that they worshipped took naps. The gods they worshipped had to rest. So there was a certain point in time when a Canaanite was operating without the protection of his God. I can't think of anything more terrifying than the idea that God might sometime go to sleep. But our God doesn't sleep. Yahweh doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't need a nap. He's a source of protection all the time. And verse 5 says, He's shade at your right hand so that the sun doesn't harm you by day. So the heat of the sun, God protects us. He protects us from the heat of the sun. He protects us from the dangers that come when the sun goes down. Verse 6, the sun won't harm you by day or the moon by night. Verse 7, he will keep you from all harm and watch over your life. And then verse 8, he will watch over your coming and going. He will watch over you when you're home. And when you're away from home, you're coming and you're going, both now and forevermore. It's hard to get more comprehensive than that. He's doing his best. We can so easily come up with, well, what about this? What about that? How about this? That wouldn't apply, would it? And this psalmist is just trying to say, hey, listen, I'm trying to cover all the bases for you here, so you don't worry. There aren't any loopholes in this. When you belong to God... He watches over you, day and night, coming and going, now and forevermore. 
One psalmist, or one uh, uh, British scholar, Bible student says this about this passage, about this very last verse. He says that, that both now and forevermore. He said, it's hard to decide which half is the more encouraging. The fact that it starts from now, or, and, or that it runs on, not to the end of time, but without end. Hard to decide which of those, he says, is more encouraging, now or forevermore. We need them both. And that's Psalm 121. It's a beautiful psalm that teaches us this, that you experience change and challenge under the watchful, protecting presence of God himself. You experience change and challenge under the watchful, protecting presence of God himself. Trinity, we experience change and challenge under the watchful, protecting uh, presence of God himself. He watches over us. He doesn't sleep. He knows what we need. But there's still a problem. One problem we have to solve before we go. And it is this. Uh, It says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. The Lord will keep you from all harm, verse 7. He will watch over your life. He will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. He will keep you from all harm. But wait a minute. That doesn't seem right, because I still have problems. Doesn't this psalm tell me that God will keep me from having problems? The Lord will keep you from all harm. That's a great question. Here's how one person stated that question. Does this psalm guarantee unconditional protection from all harm and danger to the pilgrim? He's talking about the traveler and the song of ascents and all that. Does it offer unconditional protection from all harm and danger to the pilgrim? Did believers never suffer from sunstroke or fall into the hands of bandits? I mean, that's a great question. Doesn't this psalm mean that harm will not befall you? He goes on to answer his own question. He says, It is apparent that while the psalm speaks of such blanket protection, the pilgrim, that's you and me, must understand that everything that invades his or her life is under God's watchful care and providence. See, it doesn't mean that problems don't occur. It means that every problem that shows up in your life or mine came through God first. If you're a Jesus follower, you still live in a broken world. We are not guaranteed protection from every possible thing that could go wrong. What we are guaranteed is that since through Jesus we are God's people, everything that happens to us goes through God first. You experience hard times under the watchful, protecting presence of God himself. It's not random. God knows about it. God's aware of it. The God who promises to protect us will watch over us. The God who never sleeps knows all about it. And he will be with you. And nothing can touch us that does not go through God first. A couple good examples that you'll probably remember off the top of your head. You know the story of Job? That Satan went to God and wanted to, wanted to uh, uh, mess with Job's life. And God knew that he could use the situation for his glory. He knew that Job was going to be okay. He knew that the good of God's people for millennia would be strengthened by knowing Job's story and by following his example. So he allowed Job to experience some awful times. 
This doesn't mean that God was sleeping when this happened to Job. Instead, it means God was watching over him as it happened. Jesus, Jesus told his disciples, Satan wants to sift you. The night he was betrayed, he said, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, and he pointed to Peter, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And Peter and the disciples got sifted. But Satan had to ask. Now, does that mean God wasn't paying attention when the disciples were being sifted? No. It means that everything that invaded their lives came under the watchful care of God himself. Everything that comes your way comes under the watchful, wakeful, protecting presence of God himself. And that's a great thing to remember. We've got to remember that. It's true for you. I want you to know. You come in with your own set of challenges, your own life uh, obstacles that you're addressing. And you can know that this psalm applies to you if you belong to Jesus. This psalm applies to our church. It's not just for the individual Jesus follower. It's true of God's people, the church. It's true for us. Everything we experience as a faith family comes under the watchful presence of God himself. We still live in a broken world, a faith family. We're not guaranteed uh, protection from every possible thing that might be a challenge. But what we are guaranteed is that since through Jesus we are God's people, and Jesus is building his church, then everything that happens goes through God. And if we'll respond properly, God will use it all for his good. God's aware. He knows. He watches over us. Nothing can change that. So this psalm, I would just commend to you as a great psalm to go through in a time of change, challenge in your own life, I think it's a good word for our faith family right now as, as seasons change and, and the transition begins. It's good for us to remember. It's a good way to cap off Thanksgiving weekend with a psalm. I love to do that. And that's good for us too. So I hope that this encourages you. And uh, I would like to pray in just a minute. And then I'll be praying for you. And I would appreciate you praying for me. Uh, I am here today, but I'm laying kind of low today. Laying kind of low today, but we'll have opportunity to connect in the weeks ahead, and we will do that. And so uh, I'd like to close with prayer. And the last thing I want to have on your mind is Psalm 121. That's what I want us thinking about as we pray. Father, we come to you with your word, truth, that soothes us. It, it encourages us. It reinforces us. It equips us for moments of uh, challenge and moments of joy and accomplishment. Your word is appropriate. It's alive and active, and it pierces our hearts. And it applies to every different emotion and experience that we have in the course of life. And we're thankful for this psalm that speaks to us right now. It's it's an encouragement to us. We love you. How awesome that that you would care for us like this way, uh, in this way, that you, the maker of heaven and earth, would watch over us. 
Father, we're so thankful that that's true, that through Jesus we can know you as our Heavenly Father and that you don't uh, slumber or sleep when you watch over us. I pray for the individual here this morning whose uh, life circumstances uh, are challenging to them and they need this psalm and they need to take this psalm and really, really live it and believe it this week. I pray that you'll help them to do that as they navigate the challenges that you've allowed into their lives. And I pray for this faith family that you will help us to navigate according to these truths as well, that we will remember that you watch over our coming and going now and forevermore. And we pray that you will continue to do this. And we ask it through Jesus. Amen.